Live. Live. Live from Welcome to New York. This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Ready for this. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just and the Suffering podcast. This is the part of the show usually where I talk to you about how, you know, this is New York sports talk, long-suffering fan, all that good jazz, tell you what show's coming up. But got to take a few minutes here because the sports world as we know it changed completely last week. In the span of about 24 hours, everything completely changed due to the ongoing spread of the coronavirus. And I'm going to tell you a little story about where I was when all this happened. Obviously, this year I've been helping out with the Iona Athletics Department. I went down with them and with their congregation to Atlantic City as the basketball program was taking part in the MAC championships down there. So they played the game on Tuesday. Both men's and women's programs played. Women lost, men won. On Wednesday, the men were in the arena for a late game against against St. Peter's at the time. So they're playing this game. We're on Meteor Row. We're getting ready. And then this is when the news breaks about Rudy Gobert testing positive for the coronavirus. And at this point, sports has sort of been dancing around the coronavirus, talking about, you know, okay, we're going to... Because it was funny, the timeline progressing this so rapidly. It started out the Sunday before, where they had... The chair of the selection committee was on CBS's pregame show and said, we are going ahead as scheduled despite the coronavirus. Then a couple of days later, the NCAA said, okay, we're, we're going to play without fans starting on Thursday. And the NBA was leaning that way. Hockey started to lean that way. We saw the governors of various states ban mass gatherings of people trying to prevent the spread of the virus. Everything changed when Rudy Gobert tested positive, and we had this scene in Oklahoma City when the Jazz are playing the Thunder. The game is about to tip. You got the word on Twitter that there was this delay coming and that the start of the game was delayed. And at that point, you're started, everybody's mind started going to the worst-case scenario. Like, somebody has coronavirus. And once it was confirmed, within minutes, the NBA shut down. And that point on, you knew it was just inevitable. Everything was going to go down with it. And it all follows along. NHL pauses the season. They're hoping to come back later on in the year. You assume they're probably going to pick up in the playoffs. NBA, they're probably going a couple of months. They might pick up with the playoffs. They might play a brief end of the regular season. No one really knows anything right now. Baseball shuts spring training down. The season's been pushed back because as of recording, the CDC is recommending that there are no gatherings of more than 50 people anywhere for eight weeks, which means even if you didn't have the fans, if you played in the buildings without the fans, it's not possible to stage a sporting event in any sport. So everything is shut down. The NCAA cancels the tournament, which they had to do. We saw the domino effect of what happened when Rudy Gobert tests positive. You had to put entire teams in quarantine because they played the Jazz. And that's just teams, and you can make a chain very quickly 
to the entire NBA off of just one player. Doing that for college kids will be flying all across the country, playing in venues from like Sacramento and Dayton, Ohio, Albany, New York. It just didn't make sense. And I mean, they talk about options. They talk about possibly delaying the tournament. They talk about maybe cutting it down to 16 teams, doing it all in a span of like a weekend. But with the timeline you had here, with college is basically wrapping up by the seasons by May, it was not going to happen. It had to stop. It's very disappointing, but you understand it's the right thing. As a sports fan, you can be bummed. You can be disappointed that, you know, I don't have any live games for a long time. You don't have anything for a long time. Golf cancel through the Masters. NASCAR's already canceled a race. They're probably going to cancel more. The UFC somehow is trying to go on, which I don't think is going to last much longer. They are basically in defiance of the recommendations of the government, of the CDC, trying to stage events. And I don't think they're going to get much farther before they get forced to shut down. The NFL offseason is still going. That can be done remotely, so that's the only solid sports fans have right now. something to actually keep, keep their minds off of this, but the Rudy Gobert thing probably spared everybody a couple of weeks of just delaying the inevitable. We've seen it in China. We've seen it in Italy. We've seen it in South Korea. Shutdowns are happening. At this point, the pro sports did a good thing, kind of ripped the Band-Aid off, and actually started the process of this country actually taking this thing much more serious than people were. It's for a long time, we were talking about, oh, wash your hands, fist bump, you're not going to spread the virus. And for a long time, the experts are saying that's not enough. The people didn't take it seriously. Something like what happened with Rudy Gobert makes people take notice. And they take this thing much more seriously than they should have. Obviously, we will wait for sports to come back. They're not gone forever. They will return. We do have plans for the podcast to go on in spite of this. I know people like listening, like having a distraction. So I will do my best. So here's what I'm going to do here with the podcast for the time being. Every week, we're going to kind of do one sport. The state of the sport right now in the shutdown. We will start this week with college basketball. This is supposed to be the March Madness show this week. I still have our March Madness guest coming on. Fan size Patrick Schmidt, the college sports editor, is coming on. We'll discuss the ramifications of the shutdown, some other news going on there. Kevin Walsh from SportsGrade was going to help you with betting strategy. We are going to do that with a twist. We are using the bracket Joe Lenardi put out. Basically, he made the effort to complete a bracket, put some spreads together. That will be our exercise here, give you a little bit of a distraction here. We also, so every week there'll be one sport. This week's college basketball. Do some NFL. We'll be able to keep you up to date on stuff with free agency starting next week. We'll do state of the sports for half the show. The other half of the show, and this is something that's been baked into Just on the Sovereign episode number two. There's going to be more pop culture content coming. Martino Puccio is going to be on today. Next two weeks, we're going to do the last two couple episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm. I've been in touch with John Stanko, been in touch with Sandra Rosa. They will both be hopping on the podcast here, doing some pop culture content. Something like that's going to be coming every week. And 
hopefully this whole situation passes. People listen and social distance themselves. Listen to the podcast. Work from home. Sports will come back. But doing stupid things is going to make this all last longer for everybody. Everybody's going to suffer from this one way or another. So do your best to do your part. Limit social interactions. The sooner we can combat this thing and flatten the curve, the sooner our lives go back to normal. That's my plea to people. And I hope you start taking it seriously now. Hopefully Rudy Gobert taught us all a lesson about the importance of acknowledging this. We will get our show started in a minute. We will be up first talking to Troy Moriello, who we talked to last week about the St. John season. Troy was actually in the building on Thursday at the Big East tournament when they started playing the game. And they were the only Power 5 conference to... I wouldn't say Power 5. They're not Power 5, but only major conference to begin their conference tournament on Thursday afternoon after the Rudy Gobert thing. Because at that point, the Power 5 all canceled. A lot of the smaller leagues canceled. They played a half before canceling the tournament. I'm going to talk to Troy about that experience and what his take on the whole situation was right after this. Word from SportsCenter's Reese Davis. 13 conference tournaments have now been canceled, and this morning we have critically uh, been critical of the Big East, and rightly in my judgment, but they will not play the second half, and that tournament has now been canceled. Creighton and St. John's were actually on the floor at Madison Square Garden, went to the locker room for halftime. The teams playing in the next game have been told not to come to the arena, Providence and Butler, and now we have word that the Big East has followed suit and canceled that tournament as well. All right, we are back here on the Just and the Suffering podcast. We just heard Reese Davis announce on SportsCenter last week the cancellation of the Big Ten, a Big East tournament, one of the many conference tournaments to get shuttered because of the coronavirus. Joining me right now, somebody we talked to last week, somebody who was actually in the building on Thursday when Creighton and St. John's actually tipped off the first game before getting canceled at halftime, Troy Mariello. Troy, welcome back. How are you? Hey, Mike. How you doing? A uh, long time no talk, I guess, huh? Yeah, long time no talk. I mean... Things go, the world got a lot different since the last time we talked. Yeah, got a few things have changed, yeah. <laughs> a few things have indeed changed, and we'll start out with this. Obviously, you were at the Big East Tournament. You were there for the Seeing Red podcast covering St. John's, mm-hmm. and you were at the Garden. St. John's is playing in a big comeback against Georgetown when the Rudy Gobert news broke. Mm-hmm. How did you find that out, and what was your initial reaction? Yeah, so that was kind of a shock for me. Uh, like everyone else, I was actually – recording my podcast after the uh the St. John's win over Georgetown I was doing that with a friend and uh so I wasn't really I didn't have my phone on me or anything like that and uh I go to upload everything I upload the podcast and then I check my phone and I see that the NBA season has been suspended and that Rudy Gobert has has this uh coronavirus and yeah that was kind of a shock to me obviously like everyone else it just kind of came out of nowhere you kind of got the sense that things were going south in the in the sports world with everything. I think on Wednesday afternoon when the uh, when the NCAA made that announcement that the, the games were going to be played without fans, and I think there was kind of that that sense of of uncertainty maybe in the in the building as well. You know, in the Big East tournament, knowing that this very well could have been the final day or really the only day of the Big East tournament with fans. So that that kind of sense of uh, of uncertainty was already in the building. You know, we kind of figured that we weren't, or at least the fans were not going to be back in tomorrow for those games, which they weren't. And uh, the, the Gobert news kind of just made it even more real that now leagues are starting to be canceled or postponed at least or put on hold. 
uh, that that kind of made it feel a little bit more real. Where you know this is this is a real thing now, and, and it's really starting to put a pause on the sports world as we saw. Yeah, it was. I mean, I talked about the top. I basically said like once that news broke and the NBA can't basically like put everything on hold within minutes, and like everything's going down, everything's getting shut down. We started seeing that on Thursday morning when the Power Five leagues all canceled their conference tournaments, but the Big East tipped off. They actually played the first half of Creighton St. John's. You were there again because you were covering them again. Like, how shocked were you that they actually started playing that game? Yeah, that was another one where I where I obviously the biggest took some heat for uh, for tipping that game off. It was so weird though because really going to the arena that morning and um, you know on my way, obviously all the conference tournaments at this point were were no fans. You know we're not going to have any fans in attendance. We're still going to play the game. So going to the arena, I kind of had that in my head that all right, well this is going to be business as usual, just empty arenas. And um, it seemed like at like eleven thirty, eleven forty is when they all started coming. I think it was, what, like the Big Ten and the, the American might have been the first two. And once you saw that, I think I got a text saying the Big Ten and the uh, the AAC are, are canceling. Once you saw that, again, it kind of made a real where it's like, oh, here we go. And once one of those dominoes fell or two of those dominoes fell, it kind of felt like a few more. And then you saw the ACC, the Pac-12. The Biggies, though, they were kind of down to the wire because I think – by by noon, basically all the other Power Five conferences had had canceled, and the Big East has their players on the court, and it looked like the officials were almost waiting for someone to tell them, "Hey, don't tip this game off. We're gonna we're gonna cancel the tournament." And I, I they waited until about twelve oh five. It was very weird. Uh, they were the players were on the court for three or four minutes. Seemed like they were just gonna gonna tell them to walk off, and then all of a sudden the officials just kind of shrugged their shoulders and like, "All right, let's go." And he, they tipped the ball off, and there we go. From that moment, it, it was just kind of like, what are we doing here? Uh, I'm a St. John fan, obviously, not in addition to covering the team. I couldn't even really get into the game because I knew there's no way that they finished this game. And even if they do finish this game, there's no way that we're finishing this tournament when all these, these conference tournaments across America are getting canceled. Uh, there was just no way. So as a fan, I had some trouble even getting into the game. But the decision to play the game – I would have liked to see them wait maybe like five or 10 more minutes, you know, put the players onto the sidelines and, you know, get a, a decision in here instead of just saying, you know, shrugging your shoulders and saying, all right, let's, let's play. And, uh, and then even playing a full half, you know, that was kind of crazy too. At the first media timeout, I would have told the players, you know, stay in your huddles. Let's figure this out from here now. And, and then let's pretty much cancel this thing. So the, the, the decision to play the whole first half was kind of crazy to me. Yeah, I mean, I I was keeping an eye on this. I mean, I was driving home and listening to this, and basically announcers are like, what are we doing here? Like, why are we even on the court right now? Every other league in America is basically canceling. I think the only ones who had in that point was the Mac turn, which I think, I don't know why, they they played a women's game completely, and then they canceled <laughs> it after that. And then mm-hmm. I think the MEAC hadn't started yet, but they canceled eventually. But, like, at that point, like, it's not a good look to be the only, like, show in town when everybody else is closing out precaution. Exactly. You, you want to be the only show in town as, as sports. You want to have that, you know, the whole country's eyes on you. But in this case, you, you really did not want that. And it's just a bad look for the Big East, you know, to, to be playing when everyone else is canceling. And now basically the rest of the country is on hold, even to play that whole first half. You know, that first half didn't end until, until 1245, 1 o'clock. You know, you had 45 minutes there where, where you were playing and everyone else was canceled. It's, it's just not a good look. Yeah, it's not. And obviously, like, I was not in the arena. Like, how did they announce that to the uh, media members there? Obviously, there were no fans they had to alert. Yeah, so so 
the announcement actually came on Twitter. I think everyone saw it on Twitter uh, first. I mean, by that point, it was a foregone conclusion. I, I think I think uh, no one in the arena or watching at home ever thought that they were going to play the second half of that game. So at halftime, they, they, they tweeted something out or a couple of reporters must have tweeted something out. And that's how the news, I think, got to everyone. And then uh, just, you know, over the loudspeakers, the usual, you know, PA address, uh, you know, they decided to cancel the rest of the Big East tournament due to uh, coronavirus concerns and everyone, you know, get home safely. There were some, uh, I don't want to say any boos in the crowd, but definitely some murmurs. Uh, one guy yelled out that the St. John's was the champs of the tournament since they had won <laughs> last night and they were leading the final game. So I guess we are the Big East fans technically, but, uh, but yeah, they, it was definitely a surreal experience. It's something that I'll never forget. Uh, being there, you know, you know, that entire situation from Wednesday night, really, until Thursday afternoon unfolding, uh, something that I'll never forget because it was really just surreal. It was really surreal. Even when I was at the MAC tournament, I'm like, I was watching, I basically working with Iona's athletics department. They were, they ended up losing that game. I was sitting there like in the middle of the contest. I'm like, even if they win today, there is no chance they'll be here on Friday finishing playing the semifinal game. There's no way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, no, and that's that's exactly how I felt with the uh, with the Creighton game, the second game that St. John's played. It was just, you know, no matter the result of this game, there is no way that they are playing games the rest of today, all day or not all day Friday, but all night Friday, and then the championship game on Sunday when everyone else is canceled. So it takes away, you know, your your from your experience as a spectator to be saying, well, you know, what are we doing this for? And that that's kind of how I felt. It was kind of like, you know, there's so much more going on in the world right now. Let's put this on pause, and it's just hard to focus on the game. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. My mind was definitely wandering, and I'm like, basically, Mm -hmm. was I supposed to be like cutting highlights on Twitter at that point? I'm like, basically, (laughs) I'm basically refreshing my own Twitter, like keeping an eye on all the news because that point, waiting to see what hockey did, what baseball did. We knew they would eventually Mm -hmm. cancel. It's just a matter of when. And like, I just think like the NCAA had no choice here. I mean, you you saw like how quick like once Gobert tested positive, you had to basically put five teams self quarantine. You could do like a diagram trip connecting the Jazz to every team in the league within about, like, two weeks. And, like, mm-hmm. it just – it made no sense to, like, send these kids across the country to places like Sacramento, Albany, Dayton, you name it. It just made no sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was there was just no no alternative, really. It, it, it sucks to, to not have the NCAA tournament now. I mean, we should be talking about brackets right now, who you have in your Final Four, who you have winning the thing. It sucks, you know, but but it's, it's – I think I've seen almost everyone say, you know, it's a terrible situation, but it, it was necessary. You know, like you said, we couldn't have, especially for, uh, you know, an organization that likes to preach that has amateur athletes playing and student athletes playing. You can't, you know, have these kids traveling all across the country, you know, flying when really no one should be flying right now or traveling and, uh, and playing these games, which in the grand scheme of things really don't mean a whole lot towards the world. They're not essential things that need to be happening. So I understand that and it, it really stinks, but, and, you know, just from a practical standpoint, too, you know, how, how were you going to even do this bracket when you didn't have all of these conference tournaments being played? You know, you saw uh, the ACC gave, like, the tournament title to, to Florida State. You know, like, how are you going to determine who gets the auto bids from what conferences? Some conferences played their tournaments already. So the whole thing just wouldn't have worked. I mean, if they wanted to try to do, like, a 16-team tournament, I saw that was floated around. That was an idea. But, again, you still need to travel those 16 teams to one location you're going to have gatherings of people there it doesn't matter you know if it's if it's 200 people that's still a risk that i don't think 
was worth taking at this point. Yeah, especially because all it takes is one person. We saw it go bare. It takes one person to have the coronavirus, and then all of a sudden you're passing on potentially all those people going to all the different parts of the country, and you're doing exactly what the experts don't want you doing. Exactly, and then you have all those people, you know, even if it was only a couple hundred people at one of these games, you know, you know, if you close it out the fans, you have all those people then traveling back home, and then it's just it's something that that's a risk that was very easily avoided. And, um, you know, like I said, it sucks for sports fans, but in the world and, and you know, in trying to, to stop this thing, it, it really makes a lot of sense. I mean, we saw this in Italy, too, like they, where they first they tried playing soccer games without fans and they end up closing it down because, like, I feel like the longer we waited on this, I think Gobert did all sports a favor here. I think the longer oh, yeah. we, we waited on this, I feel like the delay to get back to normal would have been much, much, much longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I don't know if we're playing these games right now. If, if that didn't happen, you know, if, if the Gobert situation didn't happen, part of me thinks we would. You know, common sense would have prevailed, and they would have canceled this stuff anyways. But uh, the Gobert thing definitely accelerated it, and you know, it may end up. It's a, it's a tough situation for him, but he's seemingly going to be okay. Uh, that might end up being kind of like a blessing in disguise for us that it that it changed the way that we're looking at this as sports fans and really as a as a country kind of changed the way that we're looking at, you know, just how serious this, this virus has impacted us now, you know, when, when him getting sick with it kind of accelerates everything. Yeah, it did. And you talk about the bracket a little bit. I want to ask you this opinion, because obviously you mentioned the whole thing about the NCAA, obviously couldn't put the bracket together the way they normally do because mm-hmm. you don't have conference tournament results. Mm-hmm. I think they could have done something to put a ceremonial bracket, at least give these teens sense of college, like saying, Hey Rutgers, you would have made the tournament this year, and you would have done been here if we actually played the games. I think the the excuse they used about not doing it their usual way was kind of weak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I'm kind of on on the fence with that. I, I definitely see that, and um, I definitely understand that point of view. My 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 thing is this, you know, like like Rutgers in, in your example there, like they know they were a tournament team this season. Obviously, they don't get to hang the banner NCAA tournament, but they know they were a tournament team. Um, for a team like Dayton for example, you know, who, who's having the greatest uh, season that, that they'll ever have as, as a program, you know, and then that city will ever see San Diego State, same thing. It really sucks for them. But again, you know, those they know that they would have been a one seed in the tournament. Dayton knows that they were going to be, you know, a number one seed in the tournament. San Diego State knows that they were going to have a very high seed in the tournament. Yes, you know, hearing their names called would have been cool, would have been, you know, cool to be able to hang that banner maybe and say, you know, uh, you know, number one seed NCAA tournament or for Rutgers NCAA tournament. Yeah, that would have been great. But at the end of the day, I just, I don't know how much it would have really changed. Um, you know, it's not going to be like they're going to all of a sudden play these games. So I, I get the, the understanding. And I think it means a lot more for a team like Rutgers, like you mentioned, that hasn't been in, in such a long time. But at the end of the day, I don't, I don't know if it changes a lot. And it, it would have been cool to see, but I'm not going to kill the NCAA for not doing it. Yeah, I think it would have been a nice thing to do because, I mean, you could have done what the standard procedure was, like the ACC at the Florida State, wherever the top seed was left in these conference tournaments, give them the ceremonial bid because it's a nice distraction as well for, like, the fans. They're like, oh, like, we could pretend that this would have been the tournament. We could have actually had discussions about, like, who would have won this matchup? Who won this matchup? It just feels like it wouldn't have taken that much effort to do it, and I feel like it does come off as a little bit, like, yeah, I don't know what the right word is. I kind of say, like, Kind of like big time ish of like oh we don't need to do this anymore. Yeah, uh huh. No, I I definitely get that, and 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 yeah, it is it is tough, and you know like you said, you see a team like Rutgers who who is clearly headed to the NCAA tournament now, they don't get that. For a team like that, it it really stinks, and uh, they they could have found a way if they really wanted to, 
I just don't know if, if they maybe it was kind of a big time type thing, but I don't know if they really were too motivated to do that for, for whatever reason. Maybe they got, they feel like they have some bigger stuff to handle, but yeah, I mean, it wouldn't have been too difficult for them to do it. Yeah, it wouldn't have been too difficult. But they have bigger stuff to handle. Like obviously, they had to cancel all the spring sports. Sometimes they're giving mm-hmm. the at- athletes who play those sports eligibility for another year, which I think mm-hmm. is fantastic because like it's not their fault. You basically played like three weeks of baseball games, and then like your college career could be over, which I don't like that. Mm-hmm. I'm glad they did that. Mm-hmm. I wonder, do you think it's possible they would extend some of like these winter sports athletes like the basketball and hockey players who didn't actually finish the season and maybe just played only the regular season? Yeah, I, that's uh, I I feel really bad for those kids, and I, I just don't know if there's anything that they could do there. You know, like they they played you know in college basketball, for example, you played 30 games. You know, some of these kids already played their full seasons. Um, you know, just in the Big East alone, you had uh, Miles Towell, Marcus Howard, um, Kamar Baldwin, all guys that probably you know had their careers kind of kind of cut short. Uh, and then you know around the country, you have someone like uh, Azabuki on on Kansas, guys like that. You know, seniors, uh, Cassius Winston is another one that didn't get that final moment, that didn't get that that shot at glory or that one shining moment, if you will, uh, because of, of this virus. So that, that really stinks for them, but I just don't know how you would do that. You know, teams are already planning to lose those guys, first of all, because they're seniors. And second of all, they, they, they played almost a full season, so it's, it's really tough to, to figure something out that would, that would, you know, basically give them a fifth year of eligibility now. Um, so... Again, it's it's another situation where I think they're just kind of the ones who who get the most impacted by this, and and it's a very very negative impact, and it stinks. But I just I don't know if there's anything you could do about that. Yeah, my gut is they would probably not do it for the winter athletes because they basically say you know you guys played your pretty much your whole season, like we're not going to give you an extra year just because the champ because you didn't get to play in the championship round. That's my guess. Exactly. Yeah, and and, and it's it's again it's it's tough for, for those kids there. I, those are the kids who I feel who I feel the worst for is the seniors. Especially a kid like Cassius Winston, who you know could have been in the NBA, came back. Uh, even someone like Miles Powell on Seton Hall, you know, comes back. Marcus Howard, same thing. You know, these guys came back really for this NCAA tournament or for their conference tournament, and they don't get a chance to to play in those. It stinks, but again, there's just it, it, logistically, it just wouldn't work to give them another year of eligibility. The one thing I will say about that is that, like, obviously, like. A lot of sports would take financial hits right now. I mean, they, they lost like a lot of money not being able to stay this tournament. I think like considering it, I mean, you have to put a little more in, in terms of like upping scholarship limits and whatnot. But like having the ability to have some of these players back, like say Miles Powell's kept the door open. It's like if there's an opportunity to come back, I might consider it. Having some of these like stars come back for another year, the seniors, like that could bring more eyeballs. That's something that should. I mean, it's tough to talk about right now, but it's something they should definitely consider. Yeah, um, I, I could see that. I mean, yeah, you know, just just like you said, trying to get more eyeballs. I could. That's part of it. I could see, but I, I just, I, I don't know about. It's it's kind of too early to speculate on some of this stuff, either. You know? Yeah, I hear that. Last thing, I want to end on a level lighter note here. Saint John, Saint John's. We saw them got the big comeback against Georgetown in the first round, and they were leading Creighton at the half of that game. So, like, mm-hmm. what? did you take away from what you saw at St. John's in that game and a half? Yeah. Well, well like I said before, we're the, we're the uh, unofficial Big East champs. You know, we, we beat Georgetown and then we are leading Creighton by three at halftime. So in my eyes, we're the Big East champions from this season. But, uh, but seriously, no, I mean, they, they played really well. They had a really nice comeback against, uh, against Georgetown. They were down by 15 at one point in that game. 
and they just kind of did what they've done all season long, which is a game that they really had no reason to, to still be fighting and still be, you know, scratching and clawing. And they do that and they come back and they win that game against Georgetown. They end the game on a 23 to nothing run. Uh, they were down by 10 and then they, well, they win by 13. Actually, they kind of blow them out of the water at the end of the game. Just kind of, you know, was a perfect summation of the season. And if the season was going to get cut short for St. John, it is nice that that was kind of the last game that we saw. We went on a really positive note. And we went out on a note that kind of really, like I said, summed up the way that they played this season and, and in the eyes of the fan base, at least. And, I mean, you know, it's tough to say what they would have done against Creighton. They were up by three at the half. Um, they didn't even really feel like they were playing, you know, out of their minds in the first half. They were just playing with them. That's a, a Creighton team that they had beaten once already, and Creighton was missing its best player in Marcus Ligorowski. So they definitely would have had a shot to win that game. And then, you know, you would have seen they would have been playing on Friday night, obviously against either Providence or Butler. They had beaten Providence once this season. They nearly beat Butler at home. So, again, it stinks. I mean, I mean, as a St. John fan, I feel bad. But I, I look at the guys that I mentioned before, you know, Powell and Seton Hall and Dayton and San Diego State. And those are the teams that I think, and then Rutgers even, like you mentioned, those are the teams that, that really have uh, have gripes with this and reason to be upset with this. As a St. John fan, though, it stinks, and it, it'll always be a case of, of what if. You know, what if what if we did play the, the rest of this tournament and uh, and got to see what they would have done those in that second half against Creighton, and then who knows on Friday night maybe against uh, against Providence or Butler. But it ends with what I think was a really encouraging season to St. John. All right, there we have it. That was Troy Moriello talking about the surreal scene inside the garden at the Big East tournament before it got canceled. Troy, thanks for coming on. Before I let you go, let people know how to follow you on social media and what's going on with the Seeing Red podcast. Absolutely, yeah. I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm on Twitter, at Troy Moriello, T-R-O-Y. N-A-U-R-I-E-L-L-O. Uh, if you're a St. John's fan, you can check out the Seeing Red podcast. We do uh, once a week. Uh, we'll probably do once every two weeks now within the, in the off season or once a month. We'll kind of cut it back a little bit. But, uh, yeah, this, this uh, you know, I have to stay at home, but we can still do podcasts at home, as, as Mike can attest to. So we'll be doing a podcast this week, probably like a season recap. And if you're a St. John's fan, definitely check it out. We're on Apple and we're on SoundCloud as well. Yes, definitely check that out because, I mean, what else are you doing right now? There's not games to watch. Listen to our podcasts. Exactly, yeah. We'll do them and you guys keep listening. Yeah, we will keep. We will try and keep you entertained. I know you can't watch Netflix all day, so, so there's enough time to go around. Troy, thanks again. Absolutely, Mike. Have a good one. You too. Up next, we're talking college basketball, deeper detail with Patrick Schmidt from Fanside right after this. I'm not sure there was any other reasonable choice, Reese. I mean, we've discussed this throughout the day, including uh, this morning uh, at 9 o'clock on the ACC Network, that, that this is a, a, pan a pandemic, and this is about slowing the spread uh, of this and about flattening the curve of this. And the NCAA has to be, has no other choice but to be a responsible global citizen here. No other choice. And so I think, I think all of us that have been discussing this last night and throughout the day today uh, agreed that this was inevitable. All right, we are back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast. We just heard ESPN's Jay Billis describe how the NCAA really had no choice but to cancel the tournament. We're going to talk to this guy anyway today if the tournament was happening, but it is a good kind of wrap on college basketball. I've got Patrick Schmidt from Fansided here with us today on the line. Patrick, welcome back to the podcast. How are you? I'm good. You know, I'm missing sports, especially missing March Madness, but it's going to be with you. 
Yeah, it's good to be good to be talking to people again. And I will say this thing just felt like it just escalated so so quickly. Yeah, yeah, it really did. I mean, you know, not just in college basketball, but you know, really kind of in everything. But yeah, to focus on college basketball, you know, it was looking like, hey, maybe this is uh, it's going to go on, but you know, maybe there's just not going to be fans in the stands, and it's just going to be you know, the players and coaches and you know their families, some recruits maybe, and then you know essential stadium personnel or whatever and you know during that time I'm trying to wrap my my brain around what, how that's all going to look how it's all going to sound is that going to you know hurt the enthusiasm and spirit of March Madness you know and the underdogs they kind of get on a roll the crowd gets into it um, and the buzzer beaters and all the upsets and things of that nature so you know I'm kind of thinking about you know how this is all going to play out you know for a day or so in my head and then you know the conference tournaments they all you know one by one they started canceling things you know once things you know, really got kind of serious uh, last Thursday or so. Uh, and that really everything started shutting down. We had the NBA shut down, the NHL, MLB, everything. So, you know, from that point, it, it pretty much felt like a, an inevitability that, you know, either the NCAA tournament is going to be postponed uh, three or four weeks and, you know, they'll, they'll try and fit it in in late April and early May and whatnot and, and try and try and at least do it. And then, you know, um, you know, kind of reality set in and, you know, the whole thing was called off, it was canceled and it was a significant buzzkill. I certainly understand why the NCAA did it. Um, you know, I think they made the right decision, of course. Um, but, you know, from a fan standpoint, it's just, you know, it's just disappointing we won't get to see the games play out. Uh, you know, all the fun underdog stories, all the upsets and even for, you know, some of these great teams like Dayton, you know, it's going to be their first year as a number one seed. So, uh, it's tough. We don't get to celebrate these teams like we should have. Yeah, we don't. But, I mean, I talked about it before in the podcast. I think this is, like, once the Gobert news broke, I mean, it became very clear that it was very recklessly sending these teams across the country or even doing them into, like, one location. All it takes is, like, one p- person, whether it's not even a player. Like, it could be, like, an official. It could be a fan. Just bring it into the building with them. And you could sending all the people who were exposed to this virus all over the place. It just made no sense. Yeah, it really felt like, you know, Rudy Gobert and then, you know, Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson, you know, them, you know, when that news broke, it it felt like it, you know, maybe like a half hour, an hour after the Gobert news broke, it was like, oh, wow, okay. And then that kind of like, you know, set in like, you know, across the the country or for sports fans that, hey, now we need to take this seriously, you know, the NBA is a player, they're shutting down their league right away. You know, they didn't even hesitate, you know, Tom Hanks, everybody loves Tom Hanks. So we were like, okay, wow, this is, you know, this is a little, a lot more serious than, and we would have thought 28, 48 hours ago. So, uh, yeah, life came at us fast. Yeah, life does come at you fast. A couple of big things that fall out of this is, like, number one, the NCAA basically canceled all spring sports, not officially yet. But as of right now, it's not like they're giving ad eligibility to those seniors, which I think is the right thing to do. But do you think the same will happen for, like, let's say college basketball or hockey players, these winter sports, who basically play the regular season but did not get to actually complete it? Yeah, um, you know, it's it's great what the NCAA did. You know, it was, you know, they definitely could use some good PR. So, um, you know, I love that the NCAA is giving the extra year of eligibility or not penalizing or, or tolling the year for, uh, you know, the baseball, softball players and any other spring sports. But I don't think it's going to happen for, you know, the college basketball players if there's some, some great seniors. Uh, who aren't going to go to the NBA draft or, or aren't going to play professionally. This is their last rodeo. I think this is indeed their last rodeo. I mean, the season was 
know, 95% done. I mean, for some of these schools, they were already done. They weren't going to the NIT or NCAA tournament. So uh, I don't think uh, they're going to get their uh, their reprieve, their second chance. Um, but I, I do want to commend the NCAA for, for not penalizing the uh, spring sports student-athletes. Yeah, because it's you're, you're right. I mean, like, the, this is impacting a relatively small portion of college basketball seniors because, like I said, a lot of schools either wrap their season or not going to a postseason tournament. But, like, if you're, like, a college baseball player or a cross player or, like, a tennis player, like, you got maybe three or four weeks of competition in there and then your season was done, which I think is just not not right, not a fair way to end their college careers. Yeah, you know, it's like we all want, like, the fairy, uh, you know, the fairy tale ending or the great storybook ending and, no, we're not going to get that, but at least for the spring sports, like, you know, we're just hitting pause on this season and hopefully, you know, for them, uh, you know, the pro sports and the draft, it's a little bit different, especially for softball. But, um, you know, for the for basketball players, you know, like Cassius Winston, senior Michigan State guard, like he, he wouldn't come back to school, you know, even if he did get a, a second senior season. No, like those guys, they're going to be gone anyways. But you know, for the most part, NCAA handled themselves really well. Yeah, they did. And there was – talk a little bit I mean there were there were talk I mean we've heard interviews from people on the selection committee and involved in the decision making that one of the alternatives they considered to try and save the tournament was like a 16 team edition that would have basically been all on one site and I know like obviously they made the right call canceling but like if this was the route they had gone and they had said okay we're bringing the 16 best teams to one place or playing over one weekend what do you think that would have actually looked like I mean, I, I think it would have looked pretty awesome. <laughs> I mean, in short, I mean, uh, it, it would have been nice just to kind of, you know, not necessarily like fast forward through the, the first round because that's kind of like my, my two or three favorite days of the, the sports calendar, that Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But, um, yeah, considering the, the time constraints and the logistics and the travel restrictions and all the factors involved, um yeah, picking the, the top 16 seeds, I don't know how they would do it. Obviously, you know, it would be, you know, Kansas and Baylor, Gonzaga and Dayton and, you know, Michigan States and the Maryland's, uh, you know, the Florida States, Dukes, Kentuckys of the world. So, you know, it, it would have been nice. It would have been uh, kind of like an accelerated tournament and higher stakes. It would have been interesting to see it all play out because it all would have been unprecedented. Uh, so we all would have been witnessing this, this event uh, for the first time, and I'm sure there'd be little kinks and, and whatnot, but it would be sports. It would be basketball on our TVs, and, you know, we'd have uh, a modified bracket at least. So, you know, it, it would have been cool. I definitely was hopeful for uh, a postponed tournament. Uh, but again, like I said, I understand why we didn't get that. But, yeah, if we had a 16-team tournament, I, I probably would still be picking Kansas to win it all just because, and I think they've played the best basketball, you know, over the last, you know, pretty much the last six to eight weeks or so of the season. And, you know, it's been a, a, a wild, crazy year. And, you know, this Mike with you know, Michigan State beginning the year, preseason number one. And then that just pretty much set off, a, you know, six or seven different teams that held that number one spot this year. So a lot of parity this year. But uh, Kansas, you know, over the last six, eight weeks or so, they've been they've been a juggernaut. And I don't know if anybody would have been able to, to beat them. Of course, in the tournament style, anything can happen. But, whether it was a 68-team format or a 16-team format, I, you know, I'm, I'm probably thinking Kansas. Yeah, Kansas would have been my gut, too, based on, like, who the top 16 were. I think they probably had the best path. But at the end, I don't think it matters. I think the one thing I, I would have liked to have seen is, like, 
I do wish the NCAA had actually just put the bracket out. I know there are logistical issues about, like, who would have won some of these conference tournaments, but, like, I think it would have been nice for, like, schools like Rutgers who haven't gone to the tournament since, like, 1991 to have the official recognition that, like, you would have made it. Here's where you would have gone. I think they missed the boat here by not doing that. Yeah, and, and I wrote about that yesterday. You know, it's it's unfortunate. You know, it's like we already don't have the tournament, but, you know, and it's like a lot of the, the smaller school conference tournaments, like we already knew who their automatic bid was going to be. Like, you know, it's like, granted, I know some of the, you know, we still have like 14, 15, 20 or so of the conference tournaments going on. And the NCAA said it, you know, it wouldn't have been authentic, but like we already know it wouldn't have been authentic because, you know, there'd be a giant asterisk on it because, you know, the tournaments didn't finish and, you know, there was no real tournament anyways, but I think it would have been great to celebrate these teams, give them Sunday, give them an hour out of the day where they could all gather as a team virtually, you know, on Skype or whatever, uh, while they're practicing their social distancing and, you know, have CBS, you know, just read off, hey, Dayton, they're the number one seed in the West, re- or, you know, the South region or whatever, you know, and, they could celebrate being the number one seed for the first time in program history. Rutgers, like you mentioned, haven't been in the tournament in forever. Teams like Penn State and Illinois who haven't been there in a long time. And, you know, the small schools, the medium-sized schools, the big schools, they all could have used a, a day or at least a few hours of celebration. And I, I think I wrote it in, in my article the other day on Fanside where I was like, you know, the NCAA tournament ends you know, where there's only one team where they end their season with a win. You know, we get it. They're the national champions. But, you know, considering there was no tournament, I thought having a selection Sunday, releasing the bracket, you at least give away for 68 teams to feel good about the end of their season because, hey, this is a raw deal. Like, it stinks. There's no other way around it. But at least give us selection Sunday. Give us the bracket. And let those 68 teams feel pretty good about what they did this year. Yeah, I agree with that. And since we're kind of wrapping up and putting a bow on the college basketball season, I mean, like, who do you think would be, like, the main contenders for these Player of the Year awards? I'm sure they're going to give out, but they won't obviously have the whole dog and pony show of the award show. Yeah, I I think it's Obi Toppin, uh, the Dayton forward. I mean, he's been he's been a stud all year. There's, you know, a, a number of great players. Luca Garza looked like he was going to be the front runner for a while. Uh, the Iowa big man, Miles Powell from Seton Hall. Uh, those are pretty much my, my top three. Um, and then there was, you know, maybe a, a bubble or, or whatever of maybe five, six, seven, eight players that were they were in the mix. Malachi Flynn, Peyton Pritchard, uh, the two studs from Kansas. So a lot of good players, but I think Obi Toppin was the, the most special, the most sensational for what he did for Dayton last year in program history. They were going to be a number one seed. Maybe they get all the way to the final four. I don't know if they would have won at all, but. Uh, Obi Top and what he's done, some of the highlight reel dunks and, and plays he's had this year. Um, I think he's going to win the Wooden and you know all the other Player of the Year awards and deservedly so. Yeah, that makes that that does sound right. I do think Obi Toppin would have been that. He's already going to the draft, but we do have some actual college basketball news to report, which is actually nice to discuss something besides the tournament being canceled. And we have a big news item that Rick Patino who's been out of college basketball for three years and is getting fired by Louisville in 2017. He's back. He's taking over for Tim Clouse, Iona. How shocked were you to see Portino ended up there? Yeah, I mean, this is crazy. We, we lose March Madness, but we gain Rick Pitino. I, I, I did not envision that, that headline, um, you know, this March. So 
Um, you know, Rick Pitino, obviously as a as a coach, you know, as far as winning games, X's and O's, uh, his ability to coach and teach and recruit, guy's a Hall of Famer. Obviously, when you talk about Rick Pitino, you have to talk about why he was fired at Louisville and some of the other, um, you know, stains or black guys or red flags, however you want to call them, on his resume. Um, the guy knows how to win. The guy knows how to good players, how to get good players. But sometimes the way he goes about that has uh, has skirted or outright broken the law, so uh, or at least the NCAA law. Um, but man, the guy could coach. It, it's good for Iona. You get a, a name brand head coach, a guy that wanted to get back into college football. He's been coaching overseas, had success overseas. I mean, it's not like he forgot how to how to draw plays and, and uh, you know, when to call timeouts and when to do this and that. So uh, the guy could coach. It, it should be a, a significant shot in the arm for Iona. Um, elevates their, their program a little bit in the eyes, you know, you know, locally in New York, but, you know, around the whole East Coast and college basketball. I mean, they were, they were the talk of the, the, the weekend pretty much, uh, despite all this stuff going on uh, elsewhere in the world and in college basketball. So. Definitely uh, going to open some eyes, but I think the NCAA might be uh, keeping a, a closer eye on what, uh, what Slick Rick is going to be doing in Iona. But if I'm a fan of the program, I'm excited to see what he can do, and you know maybe he'll get the uh, get the team back in the NCAA tournament in the next couple of years. Yeah, I mean, they had a tough opening there to fill with uh, Tim Clues, who was probably the best coach in the history of that conference. He didn't coach here with a health issue, but like getting Rick Patino with – the Red Bay facilities and a program has actually been pretty consistently a winner in that league for about a decade now. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I will admit I'm a bit biased. I am a alum of the program. I think that like this, the heights they could reach now, I think it's fascinating to see how far he can bring them. Yeah. And, and we know he's had success in that area before. And, and I think I saw one of the quotes where he was saying, uh, Providence was his, you know, favorite job way, way, way back in the day. And you now he loves, you know, that whole area, the metropolitan area and whatnot. And, you know, he seems happy. He seems kind of, you know, at peace, like this is going to be his, his last chance, his last big job. Um, you know, it's not going to be like, yeah, he's at Iona for a year or two. They win, you know, 25 games, you know, this year and next year. And, you know, then he's looking to, to go to some big center SEC school or ACC school or something like that. I, I think he realizes that's not going to happen. So, yeah, again, it's a, uh, it's an interesting hire. When I saw his name in connection with the job, I was like, wow, no chance, you know? And then also kind of why would they consider Patino? But I understand why they would consider Patino. Um, so I'm kind of interested to see how it's all going to play out over the next uh, next year or two when we get back to, to talking about real-life sports and the sports taking place on the courts and on the fields and all that good stuff. Yeah, the, th- the thing I would guess would be the biggest impact is that there are going to be more high-profile recruits that are going to New Rochelle. Mm-hmm. That he's gonna get like them get more games at like say Madison Square Garden. I mean, he's already talked to Calipari about scheduling Kentucky in the Jimmy V Classic, which would be which interesting in itself. You say he won't play Louisville, but I think there'll be a lot of sellouts in New Rochelle. I think there's gonna be a much higher profile in that program. Oh yeah, absolutely, and that's that's what Patino's gonna have to do. He's gonna say, hey, you know, look at all these guys that you know I recruited, and all these guys that I coached before that I sent to the NBA and. You know, he's not going to get the, the five-star recruits that are, you know, going to Kentucky and Duke. But, you know, maybe he gets uh, some diamonds in the rough who uh, come to Iona for a year or so and, you know, translate that experience and, you know, maybe get into the NBA somehow. So 
he's definitely a great salesman, and uh, it's going to be interesting watching the uh, the recruiting rankings for Iona over the next couple of years to see what type of player, what level recruits, and uh, you know, success, who he's able to get. Because if he gets one solid recruit, you know, who knows when that next one might fall? You know, there might be two or three or four guys that you know all team up and they want to play together. Maybe they're all New York local type guys that you know want to stay close to home. So. You never know if, you know, that could happen. But, you know, we, we kind of saw it start to take place at Memphis before uh, James Wyson was suspended. But you get one local guy to commit to the program and you get three or four guys that want to follow and be a part of something special. So you never know. But that's what Iona is hoping Rick Pitino will do. Yeah, never thought we'd see – I'd see the day. I remember last year, I think when they were in the tournament beating North Carolina – I was writing for Fanside at the time, and you told me, I said, you write about Iona now. This will be the only time we'll ever talk about them on this website, and that has certainly changed. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny how fast those speed of life comes at you fast. You, you never know, you know, with college sports, whether it's football, college basketball, you never really know what's going on. We think we have a good idea, but, yeah, we never really know. So, hey, thanks for pulling that one back from the archives and uh, getting a good laugh out of me for that one. That's That's a good one. Yeah, it was a good one. Patrick, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, do you want people to know how to find on social media and a little bit of this mythical March Madness we're doing over at Fansided? Yeah, so, you know, it stinks they don't have, you know, the real March Madness, so we're trying to make lemonade out of these lemons we got. And, you know, we, we have, uh, you know, a final bracket that Joe Lenardi, you know, the expert bracketologist put together. So we're just kind of acting as if that is our official NCAA bracket. And, you know, we put out some fun stuff about, you know, you wrote the, some of the, the best games or matchups that, you know, we were looking forward to see that, you know, we're deprived of seeing and, you know, some fun stuff about mid-majors and some Cinderella stories that, you know, we won't get to see this year. So we're just trying to make the best of a, a bad situation and, and trying to fill the, the sports void for, for college basketball fans who normally would be getting ready to fill out their brackets and maybe make plans for this weekend to, to get out of work or, uh, find a way to watch TV at work without your bosses knowing. So trying to have a little fun here with our mythical March Madness here. And once we get done with that, we'll we'll turn the page on this season once and for all. And, you know, we're just going to get a uh, an early head start on uh, looking ahead to the 2020-21 uh, season. So, you know, the sports stopped, but uh, I guess the content and the reading material never does. Yeah, it definitely does not. People I'll find on Twitter, it's at Patrick A. Schmidt, right? Yep. All right, there you have it, Patrick. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you for having me on to talk about some college basketball. Show me the money. All right, we are back. Show me the money time. It is not officially a picks segment here, which is sad because obviously would have loved betting on March Madness. and But I did want to talk to this guy, so he's back for his third time on the podcast. We talked about back in uh, the Super Bowl. Kevin Walsh Jr. from Sports Grid is here. Kevin, how are you? I'm doing all right, Mike. I'm doing all right, obviously. Um, you know, I, I wish that these were, you know, maybe some concrete uh, picks and, and bracket talk that we'd be able to get into. Nevertheless, I think it's, it's, still, uh, it's still fun to talk about, at least for me, I know. Yeah, it is fun to me. I mean, we've done some serious stuff earlier in this show. We talked about some more, like, deeper things. But you know what? At the end of the day, like, I do think people need a distraction. And, like, 
I know we don't actually have sports, but this idea of theorizing about what could have been, I think is a fun exercise. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think, you know, especially like how much time, you know, most of us put into the college basketball season, uh, season specifically, like, yeah, why not like kind of go through how we think things would have played out. Like, I you know I spent the whole year trying to figure out how good Kentucky or Baylor was. And it's fun to see how far I thought, you know, these teams would have gone. Yeah, indeed. So let's start with the top, like the top stuff here. So like, what was your reaction when the call was actually made that the tournament was going to be canceled? Um, man, I was, I was surprised. I think, you know, the one thing that it's actually, it's come out to be fact is this is all really a domino effect of Rudy Gobert, like not coronavirus itself, but the decisions to shut these things down in the way that they did for anybody that maybe wasn't following where the NBA went about it. Um, I remember, you know, I, I looked it up seven forty eight. Adrian Wojnarowski tweeted that the teams were going to be meeting the next day to talk about whether they wanted to do uh, games without fans or they'd go on a hiatus. And they were leaning towards games without fans. And then two hours later, Rudy Gobert tested positive for coronavirus and they shut the season down, uh, as then did the, you know, the NHL. And that's then what led to the NCAA. It's not to say that we don't have a bracket all because of Rudy Gobert. I mean, the video that exists on him is obviously what makes this difficult, but it was kind of one of those things that it just started to become a reality that everything was going to have to be shut down. I would have loved for them to postpone it because I'm in a, a hopeless romantic in some way. I would have loved for us to maybe had it, but I think they kind of tore the bandaid off and they knew that this was, uh, this was kind of how, you know, we, we weren't getting it, unfortunately. Yeah. It was just sort of like, I talk about this at the top of the show. I mean, like once the Gobert news broke, like everything changed. You just knew, okay, like mm-hmm. this is it. Like nothing's going to go on for now. And I think, Honestly, like Rudy Gobert probably did sports a favor because I feel like the shutdown would be much, much longer if they tried to play without the fans. And this came out like say three weeks later from now. Yeah, I think the thing with Rudy Gobert is, you know, if it was just a you know a a different guy who got it, we would all be reacting a lot differently. It's the guy who openly mocked the virus and proceeded to touch the microphones after a press conference and as reported touch all of his players clothes and equipment when he was in the locker room was the very first you know athlete that here in america because there was a player on juventus who got it but like who got it and it's just the fact that the one who openly mocked it got it is what's made this all feel like the worst movie i've ever seen yeah, we are in the darkest timeline right now. We are going to try and light things up, but there actually was some college basketball news. You and I are both Iona guys. They made mm-hmm. some coaching news that Tim Kloos retired a step down due to health concerns. Rick Patino, the new head coach at Iona. What's your thoughts on that? Man, I'm excited about it. Uh, I'm excited about it. Uh, you know, we can actually, you know, we can talk about the, the morals of it all because, you know, Patino, not the cleanest tenure at Louisville. But he feels like the NCAA, you know, and him are kind of going to be on good terms when he comes back. And we'll see if that's the case. But strictly from a, you know, a basketball and a program perspective as to what this could mean for Iona College. I mean, Tim Kloos is, and this is not some Iona bias. You can ask anybody that's followed the match. He's the best coach in the history of this conference. Dominated at Iona. Uh, He didn't really coach the team this year. And you saw the drop-off. You know, it's kind of like when LeBron would leave Cleveland. Like, you saw the drop-off for the Iona Gales without Tim Kloos, where, you know, four years in a row, they had won the tournament. 
it was it was incredibly big shoes that needed to be filled, and they come in and they get a a Hall of Fame coach, a guy who's won multiple championships at this level. So I'm excited to see the hopeful prestige that he can kind of bring to Iona and see if he can elevate Iona uh, to another level. Yeah, for sure. It's something like I'm excited about because I mean, this is like a kind of move that can really like enhance the program significantly because like, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, he has his warts and whatnot, but I mean, this is a coach who is going to get you a better out of conference schedule. They just renovated the Heinz center. Those games are going to basically sell out all next year. You get better recruits coming in there. I know he said he wants to get a bunch of grad transfers to come in to help establish the culture he wants to run. And like, this is a program that has been in the NCAA tournament consistently. Now you're talking about the upsides. Like, maybe they're winning a game. Maybe they're winning a game or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you, have to, you have to think about expectations. Look, like Dickie V, uh, and I love Dick Vitale, but he's saying that, you know, he's about to turn Iona into Gonzaga. Like, I don't know about that, Dickie V. Uh, that'd be great. I'd take it. But, you know, Iona is still looking for their first tournament win. And if Rick Patino you know, is the driving force behind that, that, that'd be incredible. And that's kind of the expectations. Um, you know, he's not coming into a, a slouch program, though. I, again, before this year, four consecutive years going to the tournament by winning the, the, the MAC championship, like, it, it, it goes to show that there is a pedigree with this school. I mean, we already saw some reporters talking about guys reaching out saying, yeah, I think maybe my kid will transfer there. Because now, if all of a sudden, like, these kids feel like they have, a, a clear ticket to the NCAA tournament by being in the MAC and winning the MAC, along with getting to play under a coach with the level of prestige that Rick Pitino has, then yeah, you actually will likely see a massive uptick in the caliber of player. And that's not to, you know, downgrade the guys that are there now. I think there's a lot of good guys that have come through. Ricky McGill, AJ English, uh, David Lowry. There's plenty of good guys that have come through, but this can now go to hopefully another level. And I think I'm also, you know, in total agreement with what you mentioned about the home court advantage. Now I had multiple friends of mine, fellow alum that texted, yeah, we're out to the first game, have to be in attendance more. And I think that atmosphere and that buzz is probably going to be consistent for at least his first year there and probably years to come. Yeah. I'll be excited to see what happens. Then we'll get them in next year. This year though, no tournament. Are you surprised Mm -hmm. the NCAA did not actually release the bracket? I am not all in all. I like. I would have been fine with it. I would. It would have been fun. I mean, there's there's a reason why you know I've, I've been breaking down Lunardi's mock bracket and took the time to fill out kind of how I think uh, you know some things would have gone. Um, but I understand it. Like part of the reason is like I understand it's easy to just say, oh, okay, this team was in first place within their conference. There, uh, we'll push them through. But these conference tournaments matter too much. Like there's upsets all the time northern iowa uh within their conference in the mobile was supposed to be an absolute shoe-in like they got bumped out so we could have got a bracket but it still wouldn't have been an accurate representation like i don't think you would have been able to take that bracket but this is what it would have been if coronavirus never came through no because the conference tournaments and if anybody who follows college basketball knows is an essential part of the game and, and an essential part of creating our field it is indeed and you mentioned it. Joe Lenardi actually did do the work. He did put together a bracket of 68 teams. Mm-hmm. Since we did not get to do an actual March Madness thing, let's have some fun today. Let's use Lenardi's bracket and pretend that this is the actual thing, and we would discuss how we would bet on it. Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I, you know, I've been looking at it. What I'm, what I'm appreciative is that not only did he have his bracket up on Bracketology, but I guess he maybe, you know, made the decision and reached out to a couple of uh, – 
staffers out maybe in Vegas and, you know, threw out some lines. So, yeah, there, there's been stuff to kind of, you know, uh, at least dig my teeth into. I, 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 you know, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it is pretty cool. We'll start with that bracket there. So, like, just in general, like, this is something we can apply next year as well. So, like, when you first mm-hmm. get that field of 68 teams, like, what's your betting strategy with this with this bracket or, like, any bracket in general? Yeah, you know, I think um, it's always the evolution, right? Um, for, you know, there's, there's your people out there who just fill out their brackets. And, by the way, that's betting. When you jump in a pool and you fill out your bracket, that betting, and then there's going into the individual matchups and the spreads and you know to some degree i i think you maybe want to try and fill like you you can fill out multiple brackets obviously you have to have your one final submission but i kind of like to go through the bracket look at things almost on their face and then kind of dive in because like you know it's one thing to pick the 14 seed again according to his bracket eastern washington to upset the three-seeded seton hall but it's another thing that when you, you know, are able to put it into the context of like, oh, wow, that's a, you know, a double-digit point spread upset that I'm picking there. I don't know how likely that all is. So it's kind of trying to find that balance between filling out your bracket and picking these first-round matchups and being able to, you know, isolate them. Yeah, it's one thing I talked about last year when I did this segment. It's like sort of like when you look at those first-round upsets, I always love to go to the sprays. I'm glad I already put them out there because those the closer mm-hmm. the game is, the more likely it is that you're seeing the upset. Oh, for sure. I, I mean, you know, for example, Arizona, Texas Tech, it's a one-point spread. Uh, LSU against Oklahoma, it's a half point. Like, it's a pickup, Mike. So, yeah, I, absolutely. I think that it, sh- it goes to show, like, those are uh, absolute point flip games. And, you know, even more so, like, you look at a Virginia-Cincinnati, 6-11 might sound like a massive upset. The two-point spread, you know, any time a two-point spread is not some earth-shattering upset. You know, if somebody told you that Utah State knocked out you know, power five, West Virginia. Like, well, that's, you know, that's pretty two point spread in favor of West Virginia, but that's not some earth shattering upsets. So I think it's a good point. Like, because you know, there's going to be your quote unquote upsets, but when you're able to look at the spreads, Mike, the definition of it changes quite a bit. Yeah. There were last year that happened in Oregon. Oregon was like hot 12. See there. They were like a three point underdog. The first time I against Wisconsin and ended up winning that game. <laughs> going to Sweet 16. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, and that Oregon team, frustrated me to no end because I stubbornly was trying to bet overs in their basketball game and they played Virginia and the number was catastrophically low and they still didn't even score with it because neither team liked to score but that's <laughs> it's what it is yeah let's take a look at this Lenardi bracket I will link to this in the blog post if people want to play along with us here so like obviously you brought up first round upsets so like which first round mm-hmm. upsets would you have liked in this field yeah so I, I took a look at a couple of them and, I, and I'll tell you the one that absolutely jumped out for me, and it, and it also goes to show kind of why, to you know, some degree, this bracket things might have changed um, had things really got to play out. But and again, it's not a massive upset in regards to an eight verse nine, like anything can happen. But a five and a half point spread in an eight verse nine really was odd to me. Uh, with Colorado and Florida, Florida, I mean, Colorado lost like four straight games to close their season. They got eliminated in their first game in the Pac-12 tournament. Uh, by a very, very bad Washington State team. The idea like that they would have been laying the five and a half to Florida, um, I, I think that Florida would have been able to go out there uh, and handle them money line, no problem. Yeah, I like that one as well. Some of the ones I threw out there, you mentioned Utah State or West Virginia I would have liked. Hofstra or Villanova I'm very tempted by because I don't think Villanova is as good as their seed was. Liberty, mm-hmm. my two five twelves, Liberty over Auburn, Yale over Michigan, and 
I think the one that I feel the most confident about is East Tennessee State over Iowa because I feel that, that that's so confident, underrated for a couple of years now, and that Buccaneer team is pretty good. And, and again, that's another example there, though, right, with an 11 versus 6. How many people have watched any East Tennessee State? Iowa, again, coming out of the Big Ten. For a lot of people, the best conference in college basketball on the season. It's one-and-a-half-point spread for a reason. Like, that in of itself should almost point you in the direction of East Tennessee. And, you know, that's the thing, Mike. I think this is uh, the year where I've been able to follow lines the most for college basketball now. And it would have been fun to try and do a bracket where you let the lines dictate what you're going to do, like, as much as possible. Now, obviously, that's only feasible for round one because, you know, unless maybe you can kind of go out there and, you know, get what the line would be if these teams played, but obviously it only really matters if the matchup comes to fruition. But just to see how much that could help. And I'll also let you know, you mentioned the Liberty-Auburn game. Um, There's a guy with a sports grid called Mid-Major Matt who's really – in touch with, you know, these lower-level schools, again, you know, the, the teams that aren't in the, the limelight, and that one jumped out to him. He thought that that spread was out of control and also was certainly worth the Liberty money line up. Yeah, for sure. And, like, another fun part of picking the bracket every year, the sleepers. Who would have been your sleepers this year? So I, I went through it, and, uh, and I filled it out. And I was, you know, I, I don't know if I was surprised. I kind of like this team, and... But Arizona went on a little bit of a run for me. Uh, Arizona got themselves all the way actually into the Elite Eight as a seven seed um, in my bracket. They're they're playing out of Sacramento. Um, you know, then we mentioned that uh, the Texas Tech point spread. I think them, again, being a lot closer to the West Coast, I, I think that they would be better than Texas Tech. And San Diego State, I wanted to give them tons of credit. That would have been your 7-2 matchup. But they just... You saw it in their conference tournament for people that were watching. They kept, they kept getting down and, uh, you know, oh, we, we can come back and we can come back. And they didn't learn their lesson. And, and they lost their conference tournament. It cost them the one seed. And I absolutely think that an Arizona team playing some good ball um, would have been able to knock them off. Yeah, I have a couple in mind as well. East Tennessee State, as mentioned, I thought they would have got by Iowa in the first round. Then they have... A very vulnerable Duke team that's not played good defense. I think they could have gotten far. The other one I like is a sleeper, Rutgers. Because I think that, like, this team, I know mm. they get a lot of cre- grief for not winning away from the rack. But, like, they picked up a big road win at the end of the year against Purdue. They have a winnable 8-9 match. And then they get a Baylor team that really struggled down the stretch. And you could fi- see that maybe Baylor plays a little tight in that game. Rutgers sneaks through. Well, that's the thing. Um, you know, I'll tell you right now, Baylor was the only one seed that didn't make it to the Elite Eight for me. Um, and But that's also always a danger, right, with kind of, you know, a bracket. is You're like, yeah, I can see Rutgers beating Baylor, but then they lose to St. Mary's because this team's road struggles continue, and it's like, oh, finally done. Like, that's just kind of, you know, and, that, and that's why the brackets are so fun, and, you know, you always have to pick your battles, right? Because you don't want your bracket busted on day one, and you know, that's why, you know, sometimes going chalk is, is a bit safer. But nevertheless, I understand it. I, I had Baylor um, not making it to the Elite Eight as well. Uh, a little bit further, though, I think I would have probably had them going than you. Um, but nevertheless, yeah, I'm, I, Baylor's the way they played down the stretch, Mike, not impressive. All right, so let's go a little further on our mock bracket. Let's set up the Elite Eight. Who do you have there? Mm-hmm. Who do you have going to the Final Four? Sure. So in the uh, the Midwest, I had a one verse two of Kansas, Kentucky. In the East, I had a one verse three of Dayton and Villanova. In the West, I had a one verse seven of Gonzaga and Arizona. And then in the South, I had a four verse a three 
Louisville, Michigan State. Um, I feel pretty good about that. I think the one seeds would have uh, done their dancing. Uh, ultimately, my final four was set up for a Kentucky-Dayton uh, game with Kentucky upsetting Kansas and Dayton continuing to play good basketball. And then Gonzaga uh, and Michigan State on the other side of the bracket for my final four. Yeah, we are very similar. I had the Kansas-Kentucky in the Midwest. I took Kansas there. I had Dayton over Florida State in the East. I like the Seminoles. I don't think they got a lot of respect. I actually put Seton Hall in the final four. I took them over Gonzaga out west. I know the home court. Mm. I know the home court would not be in their favor going out to L.A., but I think their team is deep enough to do it. And I had Michigan State over Louisville in the south region getting to the final four. So I thought pretty mm-hmm. similar picks there. Yeah, and that's kind of the thing is as I was filling this out, like part of the thing with filling out a bracket is you don't want to go chalk and you go, oh, look, I put a four seed in Louisville, but, you know, Louisville over Baylor, or you didn't even have Louisville playing Baylor, right? Like it's such an easy decision kind of then when you get to that point. Michigan State, red hot um, uh, on their way to the tournament. So, yeah, I think, you know, all in all, I I feel like the matchups that we had there, what was it, Um, all – but two teams out of, you know, six of the eight, we had similar. I think you would have seen a lot of people uh, with comparable, you know, elite eights. All right. So let's wrap it up here. The final is who and who wins. So for my final, uh, I had Kentucky and Michigan State. I was positioned on a Kentucky to win the title future at 20 to one. Uh, and then I was not able to make it to Jersey in time to get a Michigan State 20 to one future ticket in as well that I was interested in. Pretty much my excitement there. Mike, if you remember, one versus two preseason, it was Michigan State and Kentucky. So for some people might think that it sounds far-fetched, but I think it would have been actually pretty poetic for this wild college basketball season uh, of, oh, we don't know who's good to just end up in the preseason one and two teams playing each other. They actually played each other at the Garden for game, game one of the season. I was there. Kentucky beat them. I've got Kentucky over Michigan State in the uh, championship. Yeah, my scenario there, I had Kansas topping Dayton. They they did play once in Maui. Dayton kept that close. I think Kansas is just too much firepower for them. The one I had Seton Hall, Michigan State, is actually a rematch because these teams met in Newark back in November. Michigan State escaped by three. I thought the Pirates would get through them this time. And then I have Kansas over Seton Hall winning the championship. Yeah, I'll I tell you this much right now. Seton Hall goes on any run like that, and you're winning, I think, any bracket pools that you're in, that's for sure. Yep, and just to cap it all off, I think we do have to play this for a minute. <laughs> all right, one shining moment to wrap it all up. Kevin, this has been a lot of fun. Hopefully, makes puts a little smile to people's faces, because we it is sad we're not getting the NCAA tournament this year, but... There will be one next year, and probably the most anticipated of all time. Yeah, uh, it, it, of, of course. And the main reason, Mike, is because the Iona Gales are about to become the most important team in college basketball, <laughs> and I am ready for it. Yeah, you're, you're calling your shot early with a 5-12 upset next year. Oh, uh, yeah. You know what? No, we're going to be the 5 next year. I'm buying <laughs> I'm buying Dickie V. Selling, man. We're going to be Gonzaga. We're going to be getting, We're going to be preseason top 25. I can't wait. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, Rick Patino's making the rounds out on data recording on the radio stations. In one place, he said that he wants to, he's already talked to Cal Perry, he wants to play Kentucky at the Garden next year in the Jimmy V Classic. <laughs> well, I'll be there. I can, 
well, I don't know how the game will go, but I know I'll be there for it. That's for sure. Yeah, I don't know if they're going to five-hour beat Kentucky, but they could definitely make things very interesting. He's getting the right guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in for it. I'm in for it. Yeah, so Iona suddenly, and we do have the connections here, so it'll be interesting to keep track of them becoming probably the most interesting basketball program in New York State next year. Yeah, it's going to be very, as you know, as an alum, it's going to be a very surreal thing when you turn on Sports Center and one of the first three highlights, it goes Duke, Michigan State, Iona. It's like, what are we, what? But, but that's going to be the new reality. I look forward to it. Yeah, as somebody who has worked a lot with the program this year and helped out with their broadcasts, on, like in the truck down there, that's going to mm-hmm. be interesting seeing like the highlights because these those games are shot by students down there. So seeing highlights <laughs> from the high- seeing highlights. Yeah, you know that's a good point, Mike. I didn't really think about that. Oh, yeah, I love those fellows that helped put the, the broadcast together when I was there. Um, you know, I was a part of that as well. But yeah, there's a big difference, right, when it's all on ESPN three and. You know, your, your buddy in from mass time class is, is calling the game. And uh, all of a sudden now, you know, Jay Billis is in the arena. It's a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, the great Vin Parisi, friend of the podcast, has called a couple, they call a couple of games this year for ESPN3. But I feel like you might be getting some more ESPNU broadcasts coming in there. Yeah. Yeah, listen, Vin, I, you know, I, I met Vin, uh, you know, one of the game once. He was like a great guy. I, I hope he doesn't get the boot, though, because I think he's going to be in high command now. To call these Iona games. Yeah, all of a sudden the demand for tickets too also spiked. So it's just like I was joking to people. I said, you know what? Like I'll keep working. That way I don't have to pay for my way in. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good no, it's a good call. Yeah. It's a, it's a really good call. People are people are all of a sudden gonna be asking, you know, former alum, hey, you got me a couple tickets to this game or like it's gonna be gonna be packed, which I'm excited for though, honestly, because you know, our home court atmosphere is not anything to write home about. It's fine. It's not special. I think it's gonna become special. It will become special, and I I feel bad for the people like uh, Mike from the, from the Avenue Deli who like I've got, I got to know over the, over the year, and he's like at times he asks like, hey, like I, I have tickets available tonight. I'm like, yeah, we have tickets available tonight. It's not going to be as many. Oh, we have tickets guaranteed available tonight. Yeah, but it's a lot. It's going to be a lot more people asking if you got them. Yeah, it, it's going to be. Uh, yeah, you'll you'll see. It'll look all, all in all though, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. I'm excited. Yeah, give the. New York fans, something to look forward to. Rick Patino coaching in New Rochelle once the coronavirus escapes. Kevin, thanks again. I really appreciate it. Appreciate it, Mike. Always a pleasure, man. Yeah, before I let you go, how people follow you on social media and keep up with what you're doing over at SportsGrid? Yeah, follow me over uh, on Twitter at the Kevin Walsh and uh, check out all things that we're doing uh, on SportsGrid. You know, keeping uh, keeping the content coming and uh, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, getting people to think their teeth into the NFL season, as you can see. Uh, free agency is still rolling, and there's plenty of stuff to talk about. We're doing it over at Sports Grid, so follow us there and uh, keep up to date. Yeah, best of luck to you over there. I know it's tough. Like I'm related to it. I'm doing one show a week. It's hard. Imagine you guys trying to have like, daily content. It's going to be very difficult. It's it's very different is what I will say. It's very different, but we've got a great group over there, and everybody you know, is, uh, is making the adjustments necessary. And uh, you know, the one thing I've learned about the sports world is there's always news. There's always there's always an angle, and thus far, Mike, that has uh, remained the case. As we as we learned in the first full day without sports, we had Rick Patino going to Iona. Exactly, exactly. Uh, there's always something. All right, that was Kevin Walsh doing our mythical March Madness predictions here. What this bracket would have looked like, who would have won it all. Up next, our friend Martino Puccio's coming on. Do you know that? I didn't realize Martino was coming on, but. I'm sure it'll be good because Martino's the best and 
Uh, so I'll give a guarantee to the listener. Don't miss out on that. Martino Puccio is the best. As yeah. is Mike. Yeah. I appreciate that. Martino's coming on. We're expanding our pop culture coverage here, trying to fill some of the content gap. Next two weeks, Martino are doing Curb Your Enthusiasm recaps. So we're going to recap. The season's rounding up. We're recapping episodes eight and nine right after this. Right, we are back here. Time to wrap up the podcast this week. We are diving into the world of pop culture again. Thanks to the prolonged sports period, we're doing some pop culture every week on the podcast to help us fill the airtime here. And joining me today, somebody I've talked to twice before about Curry Enthusiasm, and back again this week and next to cover the end of the season, Martina Puccia. Martina, welcome. How are you? Uh, I'm not bad making use of... Uh this situation that we're all in, but Curb is one of those things. I know we don't have sports to get us through tough times, but we do have Curb, and it's been speaks for the process. Yes, and I also want to thank you for being the first to step up in the pop culture sphere. You're doing these two weeks, and then we'll having some our other pop culture people coming through. Sandra Rose will be popping through. John Stankos will be popping through. Some other guests you don't usually do pop culture will be coming through, but a lot of interesting stuff going on with the non-sports side of the podcast. Yeah, that's fun. Stanko's always great for movies and uh, everything else, uh, pretty much pop culture-wise, on top of uh, Boston sports, too. And shout-out to him, by the way, for making the Rick Pitino to uh, Iona graphic. So uh, it was great work. Yeah, we I talked to Kevin Walsh a little bit ago about the Rick Pitino stuff. What's your take on it? Um, I mean, how, how are you not stunned? Um, I'm also... I know I do a lot of sports and we talk about a lot of sports for college basketball and basketball in general is my first love. So I've been watching the sport forever and to just, you know, when you go to Iona or when I first went to Iona, you never really like, you know, it's like a really good basketball program. I went to dozens of games. Um, I still go to games, still watch the games. Um, And I mean, we worked them too for ESPN three. So it's really just surreal that, the program finally gets even more attention uh, outside of the, the month of March because this is one of the greatest college coaches of all time. Um, there hasn't been a guy that has this much success at multiple schools before. Um, maybe the closest is really Calipari at this point, but he never won like at uh, two national championships at two different schools. I mean, it's just amazing. I can't wait to see all the types of prospects um, and recruits they're going to be getting. Sorry, I'm thinking prospects because we might see an NBA player roll through um, uh, the Heinz Center within the next few years. So I just Rick Pitino to Iona, it's just still surreal. You you sent me that uh, tweet with Jay Billis on Get Up, and it's just so weird to see all the national attention, and, and it's great at the same time. Yeah, I mean, when this news first cat came out, he was even a candidate. I mean, my reaction was just pure. Like, I didn't believe it, and then all of a sudden it's happened, and, like, now we're seeing stuff, like, on ESPN, how, like, Seth Greenberg is saying how, like, they want Iona in their, like, national ESPN events. They're going to try and get his first game on ESPN. Like, it's going to be pretty wild. No, yeah, and, and it's just the beginning, because the great part was they announced earlier, um, I believe it was in the college basketball season, that they're going to start it to play Fordham again which obviously we know Fordham local school. They went to the A-10. Um, 
basically like you would have thought a few years ago when like Fordham's making a leap like that, they would eventually like be a school that could afford and, and get Rick Pitino, but it's really Iona and and I'm just so excited again for all the out of conference games that they're gonna be playing because we know how difficult it is for Mac schools to get at large bids. And there's been pretty good Mac teams that deserve at large bids. But now they get that sort of schedule that's going to be respected outside of the conference. Um the conference like dominance that I expect Iona to have again after uh, I think of an outlier of a year. So once that happens, I, I could even see at large bids on, on top of just, you know, getting the automatic bid from the tournament. Indeed. It'll be fun to keep track of that. But let's get to the curve, which is why you're here. Since we talked last, we talked about the jet episode of curve and we thought that was the best of the season, but I think episode eight, the follow-up so much better. Yeah, no, objectively speaking, the follow-up was better for sure. I think I think I liked the Jets one more because, again, that hit home. Um, but I but I also love this one because, one, I'm a huge fan of John Hammond. And Mad Men is one of the best TV series that you'll watch her and, and one that I've seen. And and him just shadowing Larry was just – it was just too funny. And every situation that they were in, um, the Gotta Go app with – with Leon, any any, they've really nailed Leon this season and putting him in the right spots to make him funny. There hasn't been too much of him, but there's just been enough that you pretty much can recall almost every single scene that he's in. Um, and then Caitlin Olsen as well appearing in this one as uh, Schlell's sister. Caitlin, I love Always Sunny in Philadelphia. That's my favorite TV show ever. These two shows, the Curb and Always Sunny, I think are the funniest. Uh, in my opinion, of shows that I like. And, and to see her there again with Larry, because she was on way back um, when the show first started. It might have been season two or three. I can't really recall. Um, but her being back in this, um, and just the ramping up again of Larry versus Mocha Joe. Yeah, that, I think we to start with the headline, which is John Hamm. And like, he basically spends the episode shadowing Larry because he's playing a sitcom writer in a movie that apparently is a lot like Larry and I thought they nailed John Hammond he was hysterical yeah every single thing and, it, and it's funny if you if people that do method acting because that's part of what he was doing trying to become and like understand the character if you listen to a lot of like great actors I know Bradley Cooper is one of them they do really a lot of thorough research um, and some of the people that they're playing, they try to get to know them, even spend time with them, depending on who the person is, if it's based off of a, a real person. And in this instance, it was in the episode. And he just picks up on the mannerism so quickly. And it and, and it was so hilarious because it kind of reminded me of the Fatwa episode where they all kind of started agreeing with Larry in every single situation that he was in. That's what John Hamm was like. And, and, and the end of it with, with John Hamm was just, hysterical at Mocha Joe's with Cheryl and Cheryl knows Larry better than anyone on that show. Um, like that, that was Larry to a T and uh, it was, a, it was a great ending. I also loved throughout the episode too. Uh, everybody was, everybody was talking to him. They always called my soul name. They never called him John. They would say, okay, time for you to leave too, John Ham. They would always go full <laughs> name. <laughs> That's a good point. I love I love when they got kicked out of the dinner. That whole bit, the whole Richard Lewis situation that he made up about Larry's bleeding rectum. Just oh my god, that was that was a classic because because I had the same reaction. Like you couldn't think of a better excuse to come up with for Larry, and and that's kind of something how they go back and forth and 
get on and, and kind of play jokes on each other because of the episode that aired yesterday about um, with, with Richard Lewis's storyline. It was kind of like Larry got him back. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I enjoyed that as well. I also thought it was the co-headliner of that episode was the Gotta Go app, which I think was probably one, of the, probably the best Leon storyline this season. Yeah, that's a, that was just like the most ridiculous idea that Larry dated. You forget how much money he has that he just invests money in that, and they get the app up and running, and and Leon is just going to try. When he spit on the guy's shoe, that couldn't have been funnier. <laughs> and then demanding a tip afterwards. And it's it's even funnier because it just you could lose your job so easily. Like you have no idea, like Leon of all people, because you have no idea who the person is coming to cover your shift. And then just the rotation of of Leon to Larry to to John Hamm at at the the, the mag TV magazine stand. It was just so priceless. Yeah, speaking of that whole sequence, which is basically like Larry like wants to. Like Leon asks Larry to cover at the newsstand, and Larry asks Jeff. Jeff basically says, "I can't. Once the sweatpants are on, I I don't go out." How do you feel about yeah, that? The, do you agree with Jeff? Ooh, um, I think I think it depends on the situation. I do agree with Jeff. Like when you get home, you're in your sweatpants. You don't plan on going out. That's why you put the sweatpants on. Because if you plan on going out again, then you keep your jeans on. You know, because it's kind of you know not it's not lazy kind of get up but it is like you rather wear jeans when you go out because i don't know you just feel like you're more appropriate and dressed up for whatever situation depending on that if that was my friend asking me i think i would i would go out and cover in the sweats i mean you're in la you're by the book stand but but again he is his manager if you're that close with somebody you're okay with just not covering for him and, and just letting them figure out the situation on their own yeah, I would agree with that. I think that was good. The other, I also tell you the other plot point with Larry dating Cheryl's sister. You mentioned played by Caitlin Olsen. I thought the storyline started off weird, but it did get pretty funny towards the end. Yeah, you could kind of see where it was going. I kind of, I kind of knew what was going to happen between uh, the both of them. Um, I also he wanted the money for the house a year later, um, which, which I don't agree with him on that. I think Larry was off on where one of the funnier scenes was when when Meryl found out that Larry had sex with her with her sister that she was getting mad at him but Larry was the same thing as Ted and, and Cheryl and then John Hamm agreed and then Jeff agreed. I was just I was just curious, like, what do you think about that? Do you think it's like the same thing? I think they're both like wrong, but I don't think Larry would have done it if Ted did what he did in the first place. I, I still can't get over it. I think it's a ridiculous uh, backstabbing kind of thing. Even if he did about it, like that's your you could have any woman you want. Your Ted Danson and he choose to uh, do that. I honestly, I think Larry's more in the wrong here because I I get yes, Ted Danson was a douche for doing that, but at the same at the same time, like you don't you don't go with your ex wife's sister. I mean, that to me basically. Like if the writers are realistic, that basically torpedoes any chance Larry has realistically ending up with Cheryl on the show. Yeah, that that is that is true. Um, and you know what? I but but I think it's just so funny because of Cheryl's reaction, right? Like you could tell she still cares, but she's still like going out with Ted. Larry still cares, even though for like years you would think he didn't care. But at their core, like they're still human beings. As crazy as Larry is. He still has feelings for Cheryl. Um, 
who knows? It, it might put a damper in their relationship. You don't know if they could ever get past it. I'm always still rooting for Larry to get back with you. That's just strictly something I, I want to see. I love that storyline. I think they're one of the better TV couples you'll see. Um, and honestly, like I just hate what that damn shit did. I don't like it. But yeah, that's just it. Yeah, I know you don't like that. And I feel like that the argument I would make, I think the funniest part of that thing sequence also was when Cheryl confronts him about it and she's like, and he's like, who told you I slept with your sister? And she's like, my sister. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a funny one. Yeah. <laughs> because just, it really is similar to Caitlin Olsen's character in Always Sunny in Philadelphia. They're very like, she, they're very spiteful characters on Always Sunny and she did a spiteful thing to her sister and and you know what and they weren't even on speaking terms i believe prior to that so again it was i i thought it was hilarious and that and that whole scene how it blew up in his face is just like it came straight from the source yeah the end of that that plot basically is like uh, cheryl's sister hurts herself on a ski lift larry says he's gonna come but like he gets out on the next flight out but he waits to get the next uh first class flight first out class, yeah. And then he, because of the whole fiasco with the gotta go out, he doesn't make the flight. Ends up flying in the next morning, and she dumps him. So, where do you side that? Do you think Larry was wrong here for not being on the first flight out? It made me cringe because you knew the longer he kept delaying the flight, the worse it was going to end up. Because he said he was going to be there, and then you know it's kind of understandable if you can't get like a decent flight within the first few hours. But he took over twenty four hours just to get there. And she's basically all, like, kind of over the whole situation. You know, she's calmed down, and now she's like, oh, like, what was the point of even showing up? And uh, just so funny that that whole situation really just played out because, I mean, like, it, it was just, it, the whole relationship was, like, ridiculous to begin with. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's, I, it's just funny. It's just funny. Yeah. Also, great line drew from LD too when she asked when she asked him. It's like there were no seats on any of the flights. He's like there were no seats for me. <laughs> He's always so blunt and right to the point. It's yeah. just the delivery is always what's so great about it. Yeah, I think this was an eight. That was I think that was an A plus episode of Curve. I mean, John Hamm was the was the money winner, but everything else sort of quick like fit nicely together that episode. Yes, and another reason why famous actors should be playing themselves on TV. Absolutely agree with that. Let's go to last night. The last night I was recording on Monday night, episode number nine, and I will say I think this was definitely a much more uneven episode than the one we just watched. Yeah, there was. Well, I was tell, I was texting you about it. I thought this one was kind of all all over the place. There was just so many like angles that they were going with. Um, but by far, I gotta say, my favorite scene is when Jeff is about to drop Susie off at the airport. He's just way too ecstatic and excited to get rid of Susie for the weekend and go to Pebble Beach with the guys to go on a golf trip. And it was just, it, it's just so funny how he just thrives in making uh, Jeff miserable. And then to the point, you're just like, when is Jeff just gonna be single already? Because we know Jeff has had extramarital affairs. We want to see single Jeff. I think single Jeff with Larry. And Richard Lewis on the town of LA, these are these famous people. I, I want to see that. I think it'll be hilarious. And then just to see the interactions when Susie and Jeff start to cross paths again, I, I think it would be amazing because because right now it's uh, there to an extent 
it's getting a little played out with how Susie and Jeff are. Because you kind of feel like there's this, like, budding divorce that's about to happen. Because I think, I, I don't remember what season it was. This would have been last season or the season prior where we found out Susie was also having extramarital affairs. So, so we find out they've both been doing that to each other. They both, like, don't really get along. It seems like they're just tolerating each other. I think it's a storyline to watch. I know that kind of I kind of sidetracked a little bit, but that was by far the best part of the episode. Yeah, that, that was definitely the funniest bit. I think the other thing that was hilarious is instead of going right to the uh, cold open, they do they do the Larry Latte Larry's opening commercial before the main credits start, and I thought that was so funny the way they played that out. Yeah, and and I didn't think Larry would be that involved with the with the latte Larry's as he is because he's really just behind the counter getting people's deliver I mean uh, coffee orders and all that and the ending of it was hysterical when he just knocked out uh, Mocha Joe's name at the top and then it just became it was just like latte Larry's like Mocha Joe's is irrelevant next door to me yes the spice store did open and Funny sign of the times that we had a bit about Purell, and they could not have predicted this would have worked so well. Like when the episode was was first filmed. Yeah, no, the Purell part. I now it was innovative. Um, I mean, Latte Larry's. There was no issues with the women going to the bathroom. You know, it was such a ridiculous thing. Just no woman had any complaints about it. It just kind of seems strange to me because there was a lot of people going in and out of uh, the cafe. Yeah, there were. I mean, we saw the price war throughout the episode. That was great when they, especially the bit when he and Boca Joe outside just constantly changing the price on the sign was great. Oh yeah, when I think they went down to like a dollar ten of coffee, and Ted yeah. Danson was just who who joined up forces with Mocha Joe was just like, "What the hell, man? We can't be doing this." <laughs> and, and 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 again, it's it's just one of those money flexes of Larry David that it doesn't matter if he sells the coffee cup for for a dollar ten; he doesn't care if he loses any money. He has so much money to begin with, and it shows him tight store. Yeah, it is definitely a spice store. The other thing that surprised me not tie in this as I thought was coming was like. When they made a big deal at the no defecating sign, I thought when you had either the waitress with the diarrhea or LD and Leon with the licorice, I thought that would be an issue where somebody has to defecate in the restaurant. But I did not, the surprise did not t- go that way. Yeah, no, again, that's a, that's another good point. It just kind of seemed like they didn't take advantage of some situations. Um, I, and again, the, the licorice part was, which was because. Larry was eating that licorice multiple times before, but I guess if you ate enough of the licorice that you would, would have those diarrhea issues. I Again, it was that scene with Mocha Joe at Larry's house with the both of them at the same time after they ate all the licorice. Was, it was, again, another classic scene. Yeah, the liquor, Yeah, speaking of the licorice, are you a big licorice guy? I am not a big licorice guy, you know, because licorice is a little different than, like, Twizzlers. You know what I mean? Like licorice has a, like a kind of specific taste to it. I, black licorice is disgusting. I had it once. I do like the red Twizzlers that you could peel the strings off of. Those are like the only licorice type of thing that I eat. But I wouldn't eat what Larry was eating. Yeah, I mean, like at least I've never had licorice like that. And to me, that's just not peeling. No, it just it. Got it's got a really bitter taste to it, especially uh, especially black licorice. I I don't know. I just really it's just I don't know. It's it's just gross. But I just 
found it was hilarious that Larry just literally would go to the dealership just to <laughs> just to get some of that liquor. Yeah, he goes to the dealership several times. Like he ends up buying this ridiculous sports car in there, and I got to say, the subplot of Larry's car was great. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, of course. When he gets in the accident um, with what's her face, um, Diane, the waitress, Diane. Diane. Yes. Sorry, <laughs> I drew a blank on the name. Yeah, Diane. I thought that was. Uh, I thought that was great too. I think they overdid the the honking and, and, and the phone with the beep tossed into the side. Uh, you got beep scared. I don't know. It just kind of it just kind of seemed weird and something that Larry wouldn't be on the side of. I feel like Larry would get angry at the people who were on their phone and wouldn't drive. I, I don't know. It was just. I thought the funniest part about that is that after she hit him, he said, "Well, it's actually kind of my car," and it was, you know, he was kind of trying to take back what what he gave to her. Only like what? Not even that long ago. Not even an hour. Yeah, it makes yeah, it is a weird situation there. And have you ever had beat panic? Um, no, I have not had beat panic because I'm just one of those paranoid people that won't like if I can't be on my phone in a certain place, like I just won't be on my phone. Yeah, I just I'm I'm just kind of like disciplined like that because then I always have in the back of my head like an implication, but like because there's so many accidents that happen with a phone um, in the car, so I just wouldn't have it out unless it was like an emergency. Yeah, I the I thought the beat panic stuff and was definitely like very very cartoonish. Which I feel like is not usually a thing a recipe for success on Curved. Yeah, no, um, and and especially in Latte Larry, that was just I mean that was just kind of lazy writing. That was some of the laziest stuff since the episode when they went away, yeah. um, with it with the private jet. I it it bordered that for kind of one of the more poor episodes of the season. Yeah, let's get to the waitress or maybe to waitress Diane, and obviously, like, they, like, the first time they see her, like, she brings their food, she tells them that she has diarrhea, so, no, of course, nobody wants to eat the food she brings out to them, and then the next time they see her, like, they're in a room, the restaurant has no air conditioning, and, like, this is, again, like, the cartoonish stuff with, like, the most ridiculous slow-mo drop of sweat falling off her nose into Larry's soup. I mean, like, I laugh because of how absurd the whole thing was with the slow-mo and like the horrified faces from like Jeff and Richard and Freddie Funkhauser. But like, I thought that game like way too cartoonish or curved. No. Yeah. Again, it was just, it just seemed like it was a forced scene and she was just sweating way more profusely than any other person that was in, like you couldn't see anyone else like sweating, but she's just like still a whole nother level of it. And I don't know. Again, it was like, yeah, it's just kind of cartoonish. Like she's hovering over the soup for what? Like a good, it felt like 10 minutes. She's just there like asking him 20 million questions as they wait for that little drop of sweat on the end of her nose to just fall into the soup. So, you know, they leave. I don't know. It was just kind of, I agree with you. It just, uh, I just thought it's cartoonish. It's lazy. Um, I don't know. I just, I a show can't be perfect. I'll say that. I will also throw this out there. She is by far the most sickable character of this season, Diane the waitress. I mean, she's just like uh, I can't. I can't believe she just. Yeah, no, she is absurd. It's like kind of like where does Larry find these people, and and do they, is he like do he, does he attract these people, these absurd human beings that are just so wrong in almost any possible situation? Like, yeah. I mean, let's... Can you, I would dem- I would demand a refund if a waitress ever said she was had she had diarrhea at, at like dinner. 
Yeah, I mean, let's let's set this up here for a minute because I want to talk about this. I do think she's like the worst character we have this season because literally, she tells her customer she has diarrhea, she sweats in someone's soup, gets fired. Larry takes pity on her, picks her up, gives her a ride home, gives her a car, wrecks. She wrecks his car, lets him. She lets he lets her keep it, and gives her a job no less. Then she doesn't show up for the job and sells the car to go on a trip to Europe. I mean, come on. No, yeah, no, exactly. And it was just, she is probably the character that angered me the most, probably since the ice cream sample lady. I don't know if you remember her. Yes. She kept trying samples and samples of ice cream. It was just like, all right, lady, you're abusing your ice cream powers. Your sample uh, privileges. Sample powers. Yeah. Yeah, just like she, like, she, this is a woman that you give her an inch, she takes a mile kind of person. And it just, she was just infuriating and, and the audacity that Larry not only gave her the call, it's like, how do you not just hate a person like that? It's such a, just a society would just be better off if she just like, just went to some island by herself and didn't bother anything. Yeah, because I didn't think of that. It's kind of similar. I felt they kind of were trying to go with a similar tone with the guy at the bathroom attendant a couple of weeks ago where they were like, oh, Larry takes pity on these people who like have these low-end jobs. But like, this woman gave no like indication of why that Larry should have been helping her. At least the bathroom attendant guy, Larry, got him fired. This one, like, she got herself fired. She did, and then she doubled down on the, the diarrhea thing. She's like, oh, I waited your guys' tables all the time. What was the big deal? I thought you guys would be understanding. And he's right. He's like, understanding. No matter who you are, it doesn't. And, like, in the sweat and the soup, and she's like, oh, it's not a big deal. She would be polite. It would be polite. Like, would you come on? Someone sweats in your soup that they made it for you, or any type of food. You're not going to eat it. It doesn't matter who it is. And my mom told me that. Like, I'll tell her to get it the hell out of my face because that's just absolutely disgusting. They have like it's just germ, especially with everything going on too. Like, how do you how do you not sit there and say you don't want anything like that because it's it's gross. Yeah, I think she is the LVP of season ten to date. Yes, she takes it. Yeah, let's talk about some other like odds and ends in this episode. The Richard Lewis's play. What do you think about that? Um, I remember reading Flowers for Algernon back in middle school. I think um, always Philadelphia is actually uh, a show. They had an episode where they kind of made fun of it because one of the characters' names is Charlie in it, and they did. And Charlie is the main character in Flowers for Algernon. Um, yeah, I mean it was just weird i thought it was really like it was just like funny to try and see richard lewis serious but i feel bad because he looks so sickly in general you can't kind of tell when he's being serious and when he's when he's not or he's just flat out a horrible actor like when when larry requested him to do do a part of his character at, at a dinner or lunch wherever he was with freddie funk out it was just so funny when his eyes popped up like that and he started doing thing because it was so terrible and he knew larry and larry didn't care he just started laughing at him yeah, I will say also, Richard Lewis definitely had what had his diarrhea fate coming to him because he's been like an awful friend to Larry most of the season. Yeah, um, yeah, Richard is kind of perplexing at times. Um, he just, he kind of doesn't add that much for me besides just arguing with Larry. Just his character. Like, I, it's no disrespect to Richard Lewis. He's, he's really just a comedy legend and respected in so many circles 
But I, I don't know. It's just I feel bad because he can't. He can only do so much these days with his character. He doesn't have the same energy that he had um, in the earlier seasons. Yeah, I also don't understand how the writing of the show makes it that like he at his age and his looks is pulling Isla Fisher and Sasha Alexander as girlfriends in this show. No, exactly. I think it was. It just kind of reminds you of just those Adam Sandler. Women, like just because they could have pretty and good-looking women like that, they do it. it. It doesn't have to actually like make sense. Like Richard Lewis isn't even like a big name comedian like that anymore. Like he gets gigs every now and then. He's doing this stuff like Flowers for Algernon, and he's dating CEOs and stuff. I don't know where Richard Lewis is going to meet these CEOs and and just like I, I don't I don't get it either. It's just again, it's perplexing. Although, to be fair, Curves seems like it's in an alternate universe where Vince Vaughn doesn't exist. And apparently, like, remember last week when John Hamm was with Larry, he's like, Summer 2 is like, oh, big fans. Apparently, that universe, Richard Lewis, is a much bigger deal than he is in ours. I don't know. It was it was just, um, yeah, it, it is a generational thing with Richard Lewis because you, you also, like, hear from so many people, like, um, kind of, like, you know, if you, like, read the history or just, like, know about some of the documentaries, uh, I've seen on like with Gary Shandling and Robin Williams. They're kind of just names that always pop up, um, and, and Richard Lewis is one of them. But I, I, I just I don't know. It's just kind of this episode just really put me off a little bit to the show. Yeah, he's kind of like you. You know, I'm not, I'm big always been down on Richard Lewis. I feel like he's sort of like if you take Diane the waitress off, I think he's been like the least impactful character this entire season. He he really has for all for one of the for some of the regular characters he really to me hasn't hasn't done much. I, I like it more where it's more of a shallow record, but now we're just like I don't know. It's just it's just strange. It's, yeah, there's something there's something about it that he didn't really add that much to the episode. And the whole it wasn't that big a big part of the episode, but the episode ends with him at the play. I, I don't know. I just I didn't like it. Yeah, obviously the last point I want to touch on this episode is the whole Mocha Joe side of it, where Mocha Joe basically is getting run out of business by Larry, and he decides to go this revenge because Ted Danson gives him movie screeners, and he realizes, oh, basically pirates. He goes to Larry's house, steals the Larry David screeners, and gets him arrested for pirating the movies. Yeah, it's the laziest thing I could have ever imagined, and it wasn't, again, it was just like brushed off by Larry another money flex, like 250 grand in a fine. He just paid it off. He's like, oh, I'm lucky I'm not in jail. Like, why don't you go back and forth knowing Larry David? Wouldn't Larry David dispute it and try and fight it in court or something to prove that he didn't, um, in fact, spread all these, like, uh, screening movies out to the general public to view? I, it just, to me, it just didn't, like, go along with who Larry David is. And it just kind of was like, Mocha Joe all of a sudden has a genius idea like that to just go to Larry's house and, and do that. I don't know. To me, it was just like lazy. And, and honestly, I thought it was just actually the worst part of the episode for me. Yeah, I just, I agree. I, do, I was happy to see Mocha Jane again, though. She was great in her one spot in the episode. Yeah, no, she, she was great in that, in, in that spot. Um, I don't know. I, I think the Ted Danson with Mocha Joe dynamic was actually pretty good as well. I thought, I thought they were actually working well together because they both have like a hatred for Larry, but the whole coffee was, was like Larry's coffee is just too good. Um, I, I think what was Ted, what did Ted say towards the end of the episode? Oh, you want a cup of coffee? And Ted was like, from here. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> I also like that Ted was trying to pick up on all the things that Larry pointed out were wrong with Mocha Joe's shop at like the wobbly tables and yeah. the scones and all that good stuff. 
Yeah, yeah, no, I know. <laughs> True, that was it. That was a very underrated part because still Mocha Joe. Like yeah. you would think at that point, like Ted Danson, who was literally on Mocha Joe's side, investing in the place. You would think like, okay, maybe he did have a point, but I guess if Mocha Joe does admit that, then he admits defeat to Larry David, and Larry was right the whole time. Yeah, that's true, and we are hitting the finale next week, and everything's going to wrap up. The finale, is gonna, I think it's going to be an hour long, it sounds like, or at least 45 minutes. Called, it's called the Spite Store, so it looks like our big Spite Store storyline is finally coming to a head. Yeah, and again, that was one of the ones that you called, I think, after we did after the first episode or second episode, I don't remember. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I kind of hope they just address the Marty Funkhauser thing. They, he said um, in one of the interviews with Michael Kay that they do address the Marty Funkhauser part, but I, at this point, you didn't see anything about Marty. They just referenced him once. If that's the addressing of, of Bob Einstein and, and Marty Funkhauser, I'm going to be really disappointed because he was such a major character and great part of the show. And and I understand it might be tough for Larry and them, so I could understand if they don't, if it's too painful for them to kind of, you know, write them off in, in, in a more, I don't know, respectable way, kind of a more of a tribute to him. But I don't know, I just hope it just, kind of get something in and freddie funkhauser is a thing of the past as well yeah i feel like they were in a tough spot with the bob Einstein thing like, they, remember they they filmed this much earlier before he like really got sick so i think that this might be a we're season 11 kind of plot point because i'm assuming we're getting a season 11 because ld seems like he just wants to keep doing this as long as he's inspired by creative ideas yeah no who knows when we'll see season 11 hopefully we do get it because look it, it's clear as day like even even if we didn't enjoy episode 9 as much or the episode when they go away to Mexico um, the season as a whole that's a lot more good episodes than there were poor ones right so that means they're still fresh they still have good ideas um, and and it's all funny you know and, and the mind of Larry David you know has been making the, some of the funniest TV episodes since what Seinfeld was 1989. So from 1989 all the way to 2020 now, it's just been hilarity. Uh, hilarity has just been ensuing in almost every single episode he writes. So I, I hope there's more. My guess is fall 2022 is when we're talking the next curb season. Yeah. I mean, the way they've been going, it's, it's hard to see it just coming out next year. Right. So I, I could see something like that. Hopefully, hopefully, um, hopefully sooner rather than later because Larry and, and a lot of the crew is, is up there in age. They're not, they're not spring chicken, you know, it can only, it can only last so much longer. So I hope if we, if we do get more, it's, it's, it's more of uh, this prime stuff now um, and, and not anything that would kind of damage its legacy. Yeah. And this, this finale is the 100th episode of Curb. So you hope they have some big stops pulled out for this. Oh, uh, I bet they do. I think we're going to see some characters we might have not seen um, in recent seasons, so I'm hopeful for it. Maybe maybe, uh, maybe Michael J. Fox would be nice to see if that would be possible. Yeah, maybe Wanda Sykes would be a good, a good uh, blast in the past. She, oh, yeah, she's one of, the, one of the best ever in that show, and it's kind of disappointing she hasn't been in there uh, for a while. I, I agree with you. That's a good show. Yeah, I'd love to see her just show up and get a cup of coffee at Latte Larry's. Oh, yeah. Or, yeah, absolutely. Or her going to the woman's bathroom and just call out Larry for it. Yeah. For not consulting woman about the situation. Yeah, and obviously, 
We all know the season's not going to end with having, him having a successful Spite store. So what do you think is going to go wrong for the Spite store? There's just going to be something involved with the store getting torn down and Mocha Joe getting both sides and he just gets a bigger Mocha Joe's and he gets a deal with the coffee bean guy. And I'm not sure how it's going to blow up in Larry's face, but I would assume he would just have to do something with the bathroom. I think you're dead on there. I think it's either something with the women's bathroom or there's a accident in the men's bathroom with his uh, incredibly like complex urinals. Or if someone has, yeah, if someone has like an emergency where they have to go defecate in one of the bathrooms and someone does, it, it may be something like that. There's got to be something with the best because you can't have such a ridiculous idea in the women's bathroom and then just fail to address it for the rest of the season. Yeah, I definitely think the bathroom is going to be the downfall of him, Miles. And I'm curious if like at some point, like the me, I know they kind of killed me too in episode like four or five, but like I want him to come back in the finale. Um, maybe, yeah. I mean, that would that would be funny to see, but I'm, I'm not too sure. It kind of feels like that storyline got put to bed, which was again kind of one of the lazier things, in my opinion. But look, it's I I think it's going to be a great finale. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I think it can go a lot of different ways, um, considering the flexibility within the show. Um, I don't know. I think again, there was that he had that little spite. Uh, Ted Danson to to Larry saying that he was going back up with Cheryl. So it looks like they kind of rekindled things. So I I think that might come into play as well. Yeah, indeed. We'll we'll be back next week to break down the curved finale. Martino, thanks for hopping on this week to get get us through the last two episodes of Curb. So we're in great, we're in a bold new world here. So we'll see how how long we are without sports, but pop culture will still keep coming on the podcast. Yeah, I really appreciate it. And thanks for having me on. Not a problem. Before I let you go, how people follow you on Twitter and keep up with some of the stuff you're up to? Um, well, unfortunately, I can't be doing my show as of late. I as of now, I'm going in on Wednesday to work. I don't know how how true it is. Um, if you catch me on NBA's Twitch channel, the fantasy basketball, just discussing all basketball topics. Um, and then you can just follow my Twitter at Martino Buccio. I just you know just kind of just tweeting out whatever happens with NFL free agency these days. As the Jets just did sign somebody, as we were discussing. Yeah, they signed George Fant while we were on the line for offensive tackle. Three-year, $30 million deal, 17 guaranteed. Look, they got a body in there. I see a lot of people aren't really fans of it and think Kelvin Beecham is a uh, better player than that. So, I don't know. I mean, you better hope uh, it's not a sign of things to come, and you better hope that Fant steps it up because he can't just not help Sam Donald. Well, they needed bodies, so he's going to play somewhere on that line. Yeah, they, they, they got no choice at, at this point. I think you're correct on that. All right. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. All right. Take care, Mike. All right. And that will do it for our first post-corona edition of the Just End the Suffering podcast. I want to thank all our guests this week. I want to thank Patrick Schmidt for calling in take the time to discuss the end of the college basketball season. Troy Moriello for giving us his behind-the-scenes take at MSG last week when the whole thing was really escalating. I was thank Kevin Wall Street for having a little fun going through the hypothetical Joe Lenardi bracket and making some fake March Madness picks. And Martina Puccio for talking some Curb Your Enthusiasm, episodes 8 and 9. If you want more stuff like this podcast, including my full breakdown of that hypothetical Lenardi bracket, I really picked all the games, filled the bracket out, went from... 
68 teams to the championship, check out the blog over at justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. You'll subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify. Search for Just and the Suffering there. You can find it on any of those platforms. You also subscribe to my YouTube channel, at Mike, Mike Phillips on YouTube. The full episodes will be going out there. Interviews will be going up separately as well. So you just want to hear Patrick Schmidt's interview, you can check that out. Feel free to leave your feedback and star ratings as well. I hope this podcast even better going forward. And that's going to be very important right now because without any sports, we're doing the best we can to provide entertaining content here. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. It's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. You could tweet me with the hashtag the team you thought was going to win the national title this year. So if you think it was Kansas, hashtag Kansas. It was Dayton, hashtag Dayton. So on and so forth. Next week, where are some actual sports going on? NFL free agency is in full swing. We'll be breaking that down next week. We'll also t- break down the Kirby Enthusiasm finale with Martino Puccio. Work out some other stuff as well. Should be interesting for sure. Until then, I have a better week than sports fans. And we're going to play us out. Not the usual podcast close, but with a more appropriate edition for a brighter than usual march.